Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 334 of the Fun with Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 21 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who tells time better than me, Chris Faroche. Hey, Chris. Robin, how are you? I am this whole clock thing. I mean, why doesn't it just go to 10? It is Friday afternoon, July 15th, and Chris and I are going to talk about the Austrian Grand Prix. But Chris, maybe just maybe you have a little bit of news for us. Exciting news, Robin. We've had Colton Herter with a two-day McLaren test at Portimao driving a 21-spec McLaren, the MCL 35M, and he's admitting to having Formula One ambitions. (laughs) Portimao is just a fantastic racetrack. I've been lucky to go there a few times uh, for my uh, journalism, uh, you know, so driving road cars, not race cars, but it is just one of the great tracks of Europe. It has to be said. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had some good F1 races there, didn't we, as well? So, we, Oh, in fact, we did, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's exciting. I think, you know, Colton uh, is leading the charge from the Indy, IndyCar driver's side to try and break into Formula One. He's obviously uh, a man from U- the United States, and, and it's really the next step of uh, Formula One's evolution in the U.S. to have a driver in a car, hopefully a competitive one, um, that will, I think, raise the interest levels here even to an even greater level. And, uh, and I think the good thing about Colton is... You know, he'll probably do it the right way. He'll probably uh, commit to it fully. And, um, you know, seems to be, you know, quick enough that he, he could definitely uh, uh, swim in the F1 shark-infested waters. Of course he can. I mean, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. and None of my frustrations towards you. But, I mean, <laughs> it just, of course he can. I mean, he's one of the fastest IndyCar guys out there. There are several drivers in the field with Formula One experience, and he has no trouble keeping up and passing them. The, the, the frustration that I have that's borne out is the, um, the FIA's reluctance to give super licenses. And, you know, because I, I, I had an actual conversation with Pato Award about this a few episodes back, I think you'll remember. And it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, yes... Definitely good. Um, is there any other details about that test you want to share? Oh, and first of all, uh, bravo to McLaren to offering this, by the way. So I just got done listening to an interesting podcast, a rival podcast, but, you know, there are some out there. Uh, this one's by far the best, but, it, um, but they were, re- <laughs> were rehashing they were rehashing Michael Andretti's attempts to, to break into Formula One in 1993. And I witnessed firsthand uh, some of Michael's attempts at uh, no less than Donington Park. Um, it wasn't it wasn't great, and um, uh, it was a bit of a shame. I think Michael could have done a lot better. Uh, I think Formula One could have done a lot better trying to embrace Michael. Um, it was a bit of a fiasco. So we don't want to see a repeat of that. I think what we want to see is, uh, you know, a, a long, you know, a decent a decent opportunity for a good driver where he's given a real chance to succeed, right? So sufficient seat time before, before a season and a commitment for at least a season or more. Um, and, and then, you know, that might set up a driver for, for a reasonable chance of success. I mean, you just have to look at none other than Mick Schumacher, a guy with obviously a huge reputation, 
given what his dad did in the sport and then obviously an F2 champion in his own right, um, you know, it's not been easy for him. He, he's, you, could, you could argue that there's uh, uh, signs of optimism given his last couple of uh, Grand Prix weekends, but it's, it's been a bit of a tough start to his F1 career. Uh, so it takes time for these guys to adapt and get comfortable and start to perform at their best. And so, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully Colton and his dad and, and his advisors can, can uh, look for an opportunity that will give him a chance to shine. That's, that's really what I want. I don't want him to come over on a half-baked uh, initiative that just ends in, in failure. That, that's what I don't want. Well, and it's so funny that you say all of that because, you know, Colton Herta's boss... So he has his dad, Brian, but Colton Herta's boss is Michael Andretti. And so Michael Andretti knows quite, quite well um, the uh, pros and cons of the approach he took in 1993. And I, I am all but certain that he would recommend against taking the same approach. So I think, I think he has someone that can, can uh, empathize uh, very much with uh, or lament even even questioning taking any kind of approach like that. So basically what, what uh, Michael's going to do is hand Colton his playbook of how to succeed in Formula 1 and then tell him to do the exact opposite. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Go to 1993, do the opposite, and uh, that's that. I mean, yeah. And, you know, but, you know, hats off to McLaren and their fearless American leader, Mr. Zach Brown, because he's putting together an opportunity for Mario Andretti to drive a Formula One car. He's putting together a test for Colton Herta. He is not single handedly, but he's playing a major, major role in bridging gaps between the United States and, you know, the core of Formula One in Europe. He's, I, I really, I have just. In his years at McLaren, my respect for him just continues to grow. Yeah, I'm excited to see Mario in a McLaren. That'll be a lot of fun. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, good, yeah, good on Zach for uh, helping to build these uh, these bridges. So, should we talk about the race? There's lots to talk about. Obviously, given that it was a sprint uh, sprint weekend, I love those. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I just in summary, it just seemed like what we had were. A lot of teams splitting their fortunes. You know, lots of teams where one teammate had good fortune, the other not so much. I, that was the that was like the broad conclusion I came from from the Austrian Grand Prix. Okay, that's an interesting point. I think um, yeah, having seen Mercedes be pretty competitive in in uh, Britain, the expectations were that Austria wouldn't suit their car, but yet they showed promising pace up until the point that they both binned it in qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. Uh, slightly unfortunate, uh, different incidents. I, it must uh, be said, I mean, I'm not trying to compare and contrast, but uh, Hamilton's shunt was more spectacular than Russell's, it must be said. Yeah, and Russell had also put a Q3 lap time in as well, which is why he had a decent actual uh, grid slot for the sprint. Yeah, it was a shame. It was a shame that they, they both sort of dropped the ball in quali and we didn't really get to see the one lap pace of the Mercedes um, because I think they were always, you know, on the back foot from then on, you know, with trying to rebuild cars with whatever parts they had available. Uh, yeah, unfortunate that they didn't, you know, it, it, it's funny that you would you would have, 
you would have backed both of them to deliver in that situation. And the fact that they both made big mistakes, pretty unbelievable. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Toto is, just can't quite believe how the season's going, but I can't imagine that will happen again this year. So uh, maybe, maybe Mercedes fortunes will continue to go on the up. But yeah, it was an interesting qualifying. I mean, obviously you only get one practice. Uh, it looked like Red Bull had the edge. I mean, Verstappen's been pretty mighty around around the Red Bull ring in the past uh, with the Ferraris nipping at his at his heels. Obviously, uh, Sergio didn't qualify very well uh, going out in Q2, um, which was a little bit of a surprise. We had a couple of Hazes in the top 10. We had a couple of uh, Alpines in the top 10. Um, so it was looking like it was going to be an interesting weekend. Uh, McLaren seemed to be struggling down in 15th and 16th place. Um, what about Alpha Tauri in uh Qualifying, not the sprint, but qualifying. Yeah, I mean, Gasly was 10th, right? So it looked like um, there was um, some promising pace and Sonoda was uh, 14th. So they looked solid in, in qualifying, <laughs> at least. Right, and that's <laughs> and that's why I bring it up, because I'll tell you who likes sprint the sprints less than I do. Pierre Gasly, <laughs> must. <laughs> Well, is it the sprints or is it just his race starts? Because this is the second race in a row where he's tangled uh, from the from the start. No, fair point. Fair point. I mean, this one. I mean, he only had himself to blame here. What he's doing, moving to the left, going towards turn one, when obviously he must know Hamilton's there and he's not going to back out. I mean, it just didn't make any sense why he tried to take a wide line. Maybe he'd learned a thing or two from Russell from Britain. But uh, I think I think Russell's Russell's position was a bit more defensible. But yeah, Gasly was never fully ahead of Hamilton. Should never have been moving left. Um, you know, entitled to take the inside line for turn one, of course. But but you can't take the racing line when there's two cars on the outside. It's ridiculous. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, I mean, qualifying was interesting. But you know, it it knowing that we had the sprint coming up, it makes it a little bit harder to get as excited about. We did see some promising performances, and it did look, once again, like Red Bull was going to be quite strong. Because, you know, the sprint really gave, uh, you know, really gave Ferrari a little bit of hope. Well, yeah, well, it was a bit mixed, wasn't it? So you had Verstappen leading from the off to the flag. So he he basically controlled the sprint. Um, The gap did come down toward the end. Uh, Ferrari, the two Ferrari drivers got into a bit of a squabble at the start, which cost them some time, allowing Verstappen to get away. Um, Verstappen was slowed a little bit with tyre graining towards the end, but was never really challenged. I mean, uh, Leclerc didn't even get within one second of him to to get a chance of uh, DRS. Um, So, yeah, Verstappen controlled that race. And then the other ominous aspect was Perez's fight back, right? So from his lamentable 13th grid slot, he... uh, uh, which, of course, he benefited from Alonso not taking the start of the sprint. Alonso uh, had a PU issue and, and so didn't take up his eighth uh, place on the grid. But Perez finished fifth and uh, was able to get through the hamilton has battle fairly effortlessly and wasn't a million miles from Russell um, at the end of the sprint. So it did look like Red Bull were, you know, had, had the edge on everybody, honestly, based on that, that performance. Um, with Ferrari sort of in the mix, but didn't seem to be quite on the ultimate pace. So that's sort of what I, how I concluded uh, the top top two teams battle playing out for Sunday. Really, that that Red Bull would yeah. continue to have the edge, but um, obviously we'll come well, on to that in a minute. 
what I saw was that, you know, as you said, Leclerc was closing in on Verstappen. Verstappen wasn't pulling away steadily. And Carlos was right there. So, you know, Max finished the race. Um, Leclerc was only one and a half seconds, 1.7 seconds behind. And Carlos was only five and a half seconds behind. And then there was a noticeable drop to fourth place finisher George Russell, who was 13 and a half seconds behind. So um, it did really look like Ferrari had pace to be right there with um, with uh, Red Bull. I mean, the, the thing that struck me about the sprint was was that Hamilton has battled in the, the fact that, you know, with the cars running so close to each other with three DRS zones, it, it was almost impossible for faster cars to actually make their way through if they if they were able um, to, to, to keep line astern throughout the race. I mean, basically, the Haas guys worked as a team, didn't they? Um, literally on yeah. the track where Mick Schumacher was able to fend off Hamilton because he could stay behind uh, Magnussen. And so they were, they were pulling each other along. Uh, it was only when, when Schumacher dropped out of DRS uh, did Hamilton have a real effort and, and shot at passing, which he, which he subsequently uh, pulled off. Um, I, I just think you know, there was some discussion about DRS and it feels like we're still, we still have too much of it, especially around a, such a short lap as uh, Completely Austria. Completely agree. Just ridiculous. It it just they got to they got to remove one DRS zone or shorten the DRS zones for for that track to be a bit more uh, sensible. I think. No, I I, I agree. I, three DRS zones was was at least one too many. I mean, you could make an argument for two because this isn't the longest uh, track out there, and it's kind of like one DRS zone bifurcated by turn one, and so it's like well, okay, that I can understand a little bit just to give it more of a proper DRS zone feeling. But then the third one, I think, was a bit much. And then what about trying to break up these DRS trains by only the last person in the train gets DRS? <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels no, to me like so, they, need, no. they need to look it's at a, these rules a bit more. They, their solution is always to add rules. It's always add rules. Make it more complicated. That's... I, that, Beautiful engineering, beautiful problem solving is simplicity. It's not just adding layer upon layer. I, it mm. makes it harder to follow. It makes it just less realistic. It just feels uh, more disgenuine. I, uh, I, I'm going to be on so many soapboxes today, Chris. Because <laughs> I already oh. have another one lined up. Okay. All right. Well, should we move on to the uh, race soapbox? Yes, yes. And let's uh, let's go ahead and get the race soapbox out of the way. What is the problem with these track limits? This is the one track where there is actual, like, gravel and grass and spots. And then the marshals go, go crazy over a few millimeters here and there over the curbing. It's ridiculous. The number of drivers that got warnings and black and white flags and then a couple got penalties, too. For what? Who actually gained? Who actually gained from exceeding track limits? I would argue no one. I, the whole the whole track limits thing I thought was absolutely preposterous, and this was just an excellent showcase of how preposterous the whole thing is. Well, Norris made the point. He went wide at turn one over the, the dreaded sausage curb. He said he reckoned he lost about a second in that corner alone and still got dinged for track limits. So to your point, it's absolutely ridiculous. You've already been penalized for going out wide which is what the track should do, right? The, the, by, exactly. by, 
by its very nature, its design should impede you if you run too wide. Um, and so that's what it did. And yet they, they hit him for track limits. It, it, yeah, it, it feels like, you know, Michael Massey's gone. He's left the FIA now. Um, and we have a couple of new guys. But it feels like this is the first time they've ever watched a motor race at times. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> they're learning on the job and there's no sympathy. There's no common sense applied. I, I, I mean, is there a way to exhume Charlie Whiting and somehow bring him back to life? I mean, oh, it just... Man. It just feels like we're going in the wrong direction, doesn't it? With people who just, you know, they, they want to, as you said, they want to complicate things. They want to get involved. And yet they're not really helping helping the, the, the pure racing that we all really want to see. Yeah, exactly. I, and the, the, the whole point of track limits is that track limits aren't, that's not a safety issue. It's a performance issue. It's a gaining an advantage issue. That's yeah. what's trying to be... Uh, stunted here and just as you perfectly pointed out no one gained an advantage when they went over the track limits people gain when you cut when you cut corners in the track when you straight line through the grass instead of making a corner that can be an advantage gained potentially especially if it's paved but well leaving the tracks on the outside in these conditions especially come on i mean to your point right why did Russell get the penalty and not Perez? Perez far exceeded the track limits than Russell. I mean, there's Perez out in the gravel. He must have gone quicker that lap, according to these guys, right? He should have been hit with the track limit. Instead, they, <laughs> instead they, yeah, they dinged Russell. I mean, it's all crazy. I mean, I'm obviously being a bit facetious, but yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, of course, in, in, in that case, Russell did get a penalty, and I think he probably deserved the penalty a little bit. Uh, we've seen that type of incident at that corner many, many times, and they are fairly consistent on penalising the driver on the inside that doesn't give space on his outside. Um, and um, and so obviously that ruined Perez's race. Uh, Russell lived to fight another day, but um, yeah, it was uh, that was so we had we had incidents on the first lap of both the sprint and and the Grand Prix proper. Funny race weekend, really. So. I got my I got my soapbox moment out of the way. Um, when I was talking about split results, I was mainly thinking of Ferrari and Red Bull. You know, obviously Charles Leclerc goes on to win the race and uh, has real strong performance, has um, better tire degradation uh, degradation than um, Red Bull does, which has been a Ferrari weakness earlier in the season. And uh, Carlos Sainz blows an engine. Max Verstappen finishes second, very strong, only one and a half seconds behind uh, Charles Leclerc. Sergio's out of the race. So that's those top two teams, they had obviously massively split results between them. Yeah, it's great damage limitation for Max. Uh, You know, he got the fastest lap, um, obviously finished ahead of Charles in the sprint, so really limited the number of points lost. Um, But I'm sure... He was still a bit conflicted to be passed three times during the race by your main rival. Not <laughs> ideal. And to be really outperformed, I would say, for the first time this, this season where we've seen Ferrari really, well, I guess Spain. So maybe not the first time, maybe the second time. But, you know, he really didn't have an answer to, to Charles or um, Carlos's pace in the race. Um and really, he should have finished third. I think without uh, Carlos's fiery moment, um, Verstappen probably would have got the last spot in the podium. 
Uh, poor old Carlos, not his luck seems to be changing, but not fully yet. Uh, um, he had a full power unit failure, so Ferrari haven't got to the bottom of that problem and, and implemented any fixes, unfortunately. And uh, the whole farce of him rolling backwards trying to get out of the burning car. I mean, what were the Austrian marshals doing? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was, was that got a little scary for a moment when the fire was building up as quickly as it was. And yep. he couldn't safely get out of the car because it was rolling back quickly enough yep. that he couldn't get out. I mean, I suppose he could have cranked the wheel to kind of like jam it into the wall, but instinctually you don't want to do that, of course. So, yeah, it, it was that was tough to see. Thankfully, um, Marshall came in quickly enough with some roadblocks and got the car to stop moving and got him out. But, yeah, it was tenuous for a moment. Yeah, that was uh, so. That was unfortunate. So Ferrari didn't quite have a, a perfect Sunday, and then uh, obviously Red Bull did end up losing points in the constructors with Sergio's uh, DNF. So Ferrari uh, will uh, still manage to, to squeak a, a, a slight reduction in in Red Bull's gap at the top of the constructors' table. But and Mercedes, team, Mercedes scored more than Red exactly. Bull. Yeah, I mean, after Mercedes' struggles earlier in the weekend, I mean, third and fourth, which is pretty much where we expect them to be. <laughs> Um, behind the top two teams if they have a few issues. So, uh, yeah, Russell did really well to come back and finish fourth, and Hamilton was able to clear the Haas and uh, Alpine and and solidly get his podium. So And that was his third podium in a row. So Hamilton certainly turned his season around, um, and Russell's still performing strongly. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think they ended up with a decent result. Uh, we shall, I think there's high expectations for their performance in France. So we shall see if Mercedes can really challenge for uh, for podiums on merit, even if all four top cars finish. I want to, you mentioned it before, but, you know, Mick Schumacher, he got into the points again, sixth place, great result for him, uh, doing really, really well. In fact, he was uh, two places ahead of Kevin Magnussen. So, uh, yeah, great couple of races for Mick Schumacher. Very happy for him. And also... Um, uh, Alexander Albon finishing 12th in the Williams, showing a little bit of life there. Um, you know, Nicholas Latifi uh, ended up having a DNF, but, uh, you know, Latifi is seemingly still showing that he's starting to get his uh, hands, he's starting to get his head wrapped around this car a little bit and showing some better performance. So there's hope even for Latifi yet. Yeah, but I think the main thing was that the Williams, with its uh, upgrade package, is and and this was the first sort of clean weekend they had to really you know see see it and, and understand its performance benefit and Albon was was very positive um, so you know didn't quite uh, wasn't quite able to sneak into the points but it looks like they'd made a step in the right direction and, and I don't think Latifi was running that in Austria so uh, not quite fair to compare the two drivers' performance. The other highlight for me was you have to you have to say Ocon did a good job. Um, you know, Alonso had his power unit issues, but Ocon stealthily just was solidly in the you know top five, six all through the weekend, um, yep. and so you know quietly got a uh, got his got his job done, which was which was pretty good. Uh, the McLarens came good on Sunday, um, certainly better than than on Saturday and Friday. With, uh, I wanted Morris. to ask about where you felt about Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, the places were seventh, and ninth. Yeah. I felt like the performance was getting a little better, but it's still eh, it's tough. Yeah, I don't think McLaren worked that well around uh, 
the Red Bull ring. Um, and Ricardo was certainly better than he was at Silverstone. And it was interesting how he came out with a statement that he'll definitely be driving a McLaren next year, but not everyone else is convinced about that. <laughs> um, so that's what Daniel wants to do. We shall see if he actually gets to do it. Um, I think there's, there's certainly starting to become an expectation that he needs to lift his game um, to, to earn that seat for next year. Otherwise, he will be out looking for a new well, seat. and... Absolutely right. And even more so than that, I mean, you're talking about Ocon's strong performance. So McLaren Mercedes currently in fourth place in constructors, 81 points. Alpine Renault is fifth with 81 points. Yeah, that's right. Alpine is really, really starting to show. And I mean, if Alonso can have a little bit of better luck, boy, I mean, that could be potentially a strong duo. Um, But is there anything else about the race that you want to talk about? I mean, I will say to that battle, it does look Alpine have the edge on outright pace at some tracks, but the reliability of their power unit doesn't seem strong, does it? So, whereas Mercedes are having a good season with reliability, much better than last year. They seem to have made a lot of improvements at, uh, since since last year. So I think that might, that might help McLaren edge it, because if they can continue to finish solidly in the points and the Alpines are constantly DNFing or taking engine pens, that, that may be decisive in that battle. But one, one to watch, for sure. I think the, other, the only other thing I was going to add was, uh, was Seb Vettel had quite an interesting weekend in the... Den- oh, boy. Den- I, I just, out of pity for him, I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> well, I mean, so he's 20th in quali, right? He had some issues. He seemed to get a bit more pacey as the weekend wore on, but then had a clash with Albon on Saturday and then a clash with Gasly on Sunday and then ends up getting himself fined for walking out of the... Of the uh, stewards' briefing, so it wasn't wasn't his greatest weekend in Formula One, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly hoping that things are better for him in France, and that is where we will be uh, watching Formula One next. They are there on the 22nd to the 24th of July. IndyCar and IMSA are racing this coming weekend. Uh, so uh, IndyCar is in Toronto. That race is July 17th, and IMSA is actually racing on the 16th in Lime Rock, and. If you have any time before that, and I'm sure you do because it's way better anyway, my latest YouTube video is on the Toyota Tundra. I've done several videos on that truck because it is a really big deal for Toyota and they put a lot of effort into it. So this was my first chance to really kind of like do a deep dive into Toyota's third generation full-size pickup. It's it's a lovely, lovely thing if you like big things. But for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. And if you haven't gotten a chance yet, those ads that we were running for the last few weeks, hey, they're still there. It'd be cool to check out. Anyway, Chris, thank you so much. We were able to squeeze this in this week. Thank goodness. Yeah, thank you, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.